0: the word my friend in season preach the word out of season preach the word reprove rebuke exhorting men preach the word in season preach the word out of season preach the
1: word with great patience and instruction
0: preach with patience And we thank you for joining us today here at Crosswalk Radio. This is the Bible teaching radio ministry of Crosswalk Church in Daytona Beach, where we are committed to preaching the word. We encourage you to take your Bibles today and join us in Romans chapter 3. Today we continue our exposition of Paul's letter to the Romans, and we feature this message from Pastor Mitch Pridgen on the righteousness of God in justification. So take your Bibles, Romans chapter 3, and let's continue right now.
1: If God just simply says you are pardoned and you may go, the question as Hodge and as Frame brings up is this, what then do we say concerning the justice of God? The reality is the justice of God must be satisfied. Or, or as it says here, there's a violation of His name. Exodus 34, 7 says it this way. And listen to this. Exodus 34, 7. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will, listen to this, who will by no means clear the guilty. Who will by no means clear Clear the guilty. So justification has to do with two very important issues. It has to do with the righteousness of God and the justice of God. The righteousness of God and the justice of God. So here's the question. How does God clear our guilt? That is, forgive us And at the same time, act justly, forgiving us and pardon us while, while protecting, as it were, his name. How can God exonerate the guilty and at the same time defend himself against any charge of injustice? This is crucial that we understand. Because at this point, I'm hoping what you've already gathered in your mind is this, is that just the matter of simply seeing forgiveness as the whole lot of it all is miserably short of the whole story. Forgiveness is essential when we repent. He forgives certainly but then something else has to happen there has to be a declaration of men to be made righteous so that that chasm can be healed and we can come into the very presence of God he can receive us to himself without violating his righteousness and holiness and this is precisely what the second part of just where the second part of justification comes in the second part of justification is when God, acting not so much as a sovereign who is able to pardon, but acting as a judge, declares a forgiven sinner, and watch this, declares a forgiven sinner just and righteous. Just and righteous. If we understand this We understand why God is not only faithful to forgive us, but as 1 John 1, 9 says, you remember? You quote that verse, and we quote that verse all the time, but listen to what John writes. John certainly understands this. He says, therefore, if we confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive us. Oh, I left something out. He is what? Faithful and just. To forgive us, and look at what he says, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So now we see the two aspects of the faithfulness to forgive, and yet at the same time satisfying is justice. Again, Charles Hodge writes, he says, Justification, quote, justification is a declarative act in which God, listen to this, beautiful definition. You can just pull all the theologies together and and this is probably one of the most beautiful explanations of it. I looked at many, many, many of them. He says justification is a decorative act in which God pronounces, God pronounces, now get the measure of this, that God pronounces the sinner just or righteous. Do you know? Think about that for a moment. The sovereign holy, righteous judge of all creation declares a sinner to be righteous. A sinner to be righteous. And he continues, that is, declares that the claims of justice so far as he, speaking of God, is concerned, are satisfied so that he cannot be justly condemned. Actually, speaking of the sinner, that he cannot be justly condemned. So, forgiveness is one in, in one sense is an act of God's grace and mercy. Grace is that God giving us what we do not deserve, his mercy and not giving us what we do deserve. So along, but it's an act of His grace and mercy, but along with His grace and mercy, there must be a satisfaction of His righteousness, of His justice. Or otherwise the court of heaven would be saying, well, where is your justice, God? The people understanding, or the proper understanding, I'm sorry, of justification demolishes the notion of Justification by works or works righteousness. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Now as I said a moment ago, and i got to move swiftly here. As I said a moment ago, beginning of verse 21 of Romans 3, Paul turns his attention to the righteousness of God and how men are justified. Verse 21. Turn back with me. And we're going to take these verse by verse and wherever I get... Wherever I have to stop, I will, just by the grace of God, as Jack would appreciate, safely land this plane. Hopefully, without crashing. Look at verse 21. In verse 21, he says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Now hold on for a minute. Pause there. Just the first part. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. As I have repeatedly said over the last several weeks as we've gone through our exposition of this book, Paul, in the previous verses we've looked at, specifically verses 118 through 320, has painted, as I said at the beginning of the message, a real bleak picture of sinful mankind, Jew and Greek. Now, however, he opens, as it were, a window, a window, as MacArthur says, a window of divine grace that lets in the glorious light of salvation he does that through by the way the righteousness that god himself has provided the use of the phrase but now makes a transition a transition from the unrighteousness of man to the righteousness of god paul has shown his readers that although the law is holy It is. Don't think for a moment that man's inability to live up to the law makes the law faulty. It isn't. There is not one fraction of the law that is faulty. In fact, remember what Jesus said? That He came to what? Fulfill Every aspect, not one jot nor tittle of it would go unfulfilled. The law, and I just, this is an oversimplification on my part to try to communicate it to you. In my estimation, having read the Old Testament repeatedly, looking at the law, the law, the law, and then looking at Romans and their exposition of that, is the law served basically two purposes. First, it shows us the righteous demands of God. And then secondly, it shows us our gross inability to live up to God's righteous demands. My ability to live up to the righteous demands of God doesn't make God's righteous demands faulty in any way, shape, form, or fashion. No way, shape, form, or fashion. They remain pure. In fact, that's what the psalmist says in Psalm 19, doesn't he? The law of the Lord is perfect. Perfect. It means lacking nothing. Nothing. So it makes a transition to the righteousness of God. And Paul has, has shown his readers that although the law is holy, just, and good, it has no power to enable man to live righteously. That's important. As we read at the end of verse 20, through the law comes knowledge of sin. Nothing about the power to live righteously. Knowing the law makes sin come alive because it gives me knowledge of sin. It doesn't say that, but give me the power to keep it. And Paul then goes on to say, the righteousness of God, in verse 21, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Now Paul is not in any way diminishing or dismissing the importance or the value of the law. The context is this, as we'll see in a moment, is that in no way do men attain righteousness, the righteousness God requires by by works or by any human merit. Impossible. In fact, even in the Old Testament, we were not counted righteous, or men were not counted righteous by their own merit. No one was. Rather, the righteousness of God now manifested is different in nature. In fact, in verse 21, Paul writes "says although the law, speaking of, in that, in that case it is the, you see in your Bible, if you've got the English Standard Version, you'll notice it's actually capitalized which many commentators and Bible scholars believe that there's a transition from the law, speaking of simply the entirety of the Word of God, to now he goes to the uppercase, speaking of the law or the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses, and the prophets, implying now the whole Old Testament. although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Okay, there's another means whereby God is going to make men righteous. It's not through the law. We saw the law's inability to make men righteous. And there is a way that has been manifested apart from the law, but it's not new in the sense it's never been known before or never been thought of before. He says because all of the Old Testament testifies to this. It bears witness to this. In fact, if you think about Jesus Himself, He was spoken of of over and over and over and over again prophetically. All the way from the beginning in the book of Genesis chapter 3 of the fall of man, all the way through the Old Testament, the message is salvation is coming. So there's a way men will be made righteous. Here's the law showing you God's righteous demands. Yet you are unable to live up to it. But hold on. There's a way coming whereby God will make men righteous. In fact, it's been the way He's made righteous men ever since the beginning. In other words, the righteousness of God now manifested, was spoken of through the whole Old Testament. And Paul appeals to the Old Testament Scripture in support of what he's saying. The law and the prophets affirm that it was impossible for men to achieve righteousness by virtue of his own works and his own merit. Look at verse 22. He says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So what he's now, he told you what what that righteousness is that has been Manifested, that has been borne witness to by the scriptures. What is it? It is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. What is it that the law and the prophets bear witness to? Righteousness through faith. But not a baseless faith, but faith in who? Faith in Jesus Christ. True righteousness, listen. True righteousness is obtained by faith. But then I want you to listen very carefully. This faith, however, is not simply belief in a general sense. For example, some people are saying, well, I believe in God. If somehow that just settles the issue. Well, the devils believe and tremble. So this is not a baseless faith. This is a faith with an object. The faith Paul speaks of has a well defined and intelligible content and object. Jesus Christ, listen, Jesus Christ is the object of this justifying faith. Justification is when God the Father, get this, when God the Father declares you to be righteous upon the exercise of of the gift of faith but the exercise of the gift of faith is toward something it is toward Jesus Christ specifically the meritorious work of Christ in your place now get this because what you are about to hear is the glorious gospel In the following verses, Paul lays out very clearly all that Christ accomplished by which He is constituted the appropriate object of our faith. Allow me to go back to something for just a moment. I said earlier that justification is illegal. The term that theologians use is the term forensic, which is simply a legal term or uh, makes it a legal point it says but justification is a legal or forensic act of God declaring a person righteous so justification is God actually at forgiveness brings us into forgiveness he forgives us of our sins and brings us to himself and as judge looks at us and forensically or legally says makes the declaration you are righteous you are just. I said such a declaration was necessary to satisfy the justice of God. We had to somehow satisfy the justice of God. But here's what you must know. God does not merely make a baseless declaration. He doesn't merely say, I forgive you, you're righteous. No. No something had to substantiate that declaration there had to be something of substance behind that declaration so truly and in actuality god's justice could be satisfied god did not make merely a baseless declaration there must be grounds as a the theologian say for such a declaration justice must be served and indeed it was. Indeed it was. Paul gives us the ground as well as the means of justification in the next verses. At the end of verse 22, after writing, For all who believe, Paul adds, For this is no, there's no distinction. In other words, the all means Jew and Gentile alike. For them alike, justification is based on the same ground and by the same means for all men. There are not, listen church, because there are some out there today that advocate this. There are not not multiple ways to God. And there's not even two ways to God. Some who would like to be well, the Jewish people have their own way, and the Gentile people have their own way. What does Paul clearly say here? There is no distinction. The, all, the way that men are declared righteous is the same for every man, whether he is Jew or Gentile, they must be justified the very same way. He's already argued very effectively in chapter 2 and in verse, chapter 3 in regards to circumcision has he not that circumcision is of no value to one who cannot keep the law which they can't and so in verse 23 he says for all sin have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and subsequently in verse 24 just as all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God in verse 24 he says and are justified by his grace as a gift by his grace as a gift, emphasizes the unmerited character of God's justifying act. You didn't earn it. Got news for you. You didn't discern it. You didn't deserve it. And then verse 24 continues. It says, through the redemption that is in Christ. Notice that. Here's the key. Through the redemption that is in Christ. In Christ. Now listen, Paul clearly states solus Christus. Redemption is in Christ alone. Now in verse 25, Paul explains to his readers the grounds of justification. The grounds for justification. Continuing in, in the same vein of verse 24, speaking of Christ Jesus, Paul writes, whom God, this is speaking of Jesus, Whom God, now notice this, put forward as a propitiation. I bet you've used that word a lot lately, haven't you? Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. In that one phrase, you see both the grounds and the means, or as the Reformers used to say, the instruments, instrument, singular, of justification. The key here is the word propitiation. In the Greek, the word is is uh, helisterion, and it's a it's a profound word because it's interpreted basically as many different ways, as mercy seat or as um, not just propitiation, but as expiation. In fact, the Revised Standard Version, which I jokingly call the reversed standard version, interprets hilasterion as, as expitiation, which means to cover, which I don't think is the more accurate translation of this, as a lot of people agree with me. But the key word here is hilasterion or propitiation. While there is some debate among scholars concerning the meaning of the Greek word, the context of this whole passage is one thing, it's justification. That legal action taken by God in declaring a person righteous while not compromising his own righteousness and justice. In other words, satisfaction of God's justice is essential. Therefore, in this context, hilasterion can only mean exhausting the wrath of God on sin. In other words, might I put it this way. For God to declare one righteous, justice still has to be served. Someone, listen, has to suffer the penalty. Someone has to suffer the penalty. A substitute, as it were, must step up. And take upon Himself the punishment for God to satisfy His justice and at the same time look at the other one and say, you are exonerated. So the ground of justification is this. It is the work of Jesus Christ as the substitute for His people. Don't tell me that the substitutionary Atoning death of Jesus Christ is not an essential doctrine for me to believe I'm a Christian. (laughs) If I don't believe that Christ died as my substitute to atone for my sin, then sadly I am still in my sin. And God, in order to satisfy His justice, would only be just by what? by carrying out his judgment and wrath on me, who is indeed the sinner, the one who has committed the sin. And so Christ is a substitute for his, substitute for his people. The penalty of sin, which is the transgression of the law. therefore his righteousness, this is the violation of his righteousness, was executed on Christ Jesus. Peter writes in his first epistle, chapter 2, verse 24, He, speaking of Jesus Christ, did what? Bore our sins on, in His body on the tree. Christ took our sin. In that proverbial courtroom, if you can picture this in your mind, as you're standing there as a convicted sinner, a criminal, a transgressor on the law, and you are about to receive your due penalty, and one steps forward as your substitute in order to satisfy the justice of the court. He says, your honor, I will myself take upon me their transgression and experience the wrath, the judgment. And then Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he says, for our sake... He, speaking of the Father, made him, speaking of the Son, to be sin. Listen, made him to be sin. I want to say this again. I drove this home a few Wednesday nights ago. Jesus Christ did not become a sinner. That is a false teaching. He did not become a sinner. There was an imputation of your sin to Him, which is a, a, an accounting phrase or term, which means that God took your sin, trans, trans, transferred them from your account to His account. He took them upon Himself. He was made sin, the one who knew no sin, so that something might be accomplished. So that, as Paul says, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God.
0: And you have been listening to Pastor Mitch Pridgen on Crosswalk Radio. This is the Bible teaching radio ministry of Crosswalk Church in Daytona Beach, Florida. And we would like to thank you for tuning in today. And we would welcome you to visit our website at crosswalkdaytonabeach.org. That website contains today's sermon and many more in the Roman series and throughout the scriptures. At Crosswalk Church, we are committed to faithfully Preaching God's word. It is our desire that every man be presented mature in Christ. It is our desire that we be obedient to the word of God to go and make disciples in all nations, teaching them the words of Christ. Again, we thank you for tuning in today. We pray that you've been blessed by today's message. We'd encourage you to come visit us at Crosswalk very soon. We're located centrally in Daytona Beach, just one quarter mile north of Bevel on the west side of Nova Road. Again, our website is crosswalkdaytonabeach.org Thank you for joining us today and please, join us again next time as we continue to teach, touch, and transform lives by faithfully proclaiming God's Word. So- in season preach the word out of season preach the word reprove rebuke exhorting men preach the word in season preach the word out of season preach the word with
1: great patience and instruction preach with patience Preach with patience
0: and instruction.